0: First in today's list is Lib IEEE 1284. If you know your arcane IEEE designations, you would recognize 1284 as the parallel port, which is exactly what this is for. It is a parallel port library for something. This library is intended to be used for applications that need to communicate with, or at least identify, devices that are attached to the parallel port. Parallel port, of course, is as opposed to a serial port. That's um, that's all I know about parallel ports, really. I've n- literally never used, like, actually never used a parallel port, to my knowledge. Maybe I was on a computer at some point with a parallel port. Maybe I printed to something that had a printer connected to a parallel port Some in some way, but Me, personally, I've never actually physically come into contact with a parallel port. Uh, It's just not something that I was ever around. I I had Serial, I had SCSI, and then I went straight to, like, USB and stuff. Parallel was somewhere in there in the history of computing, and it was not in my history. But I think it's kind of interesting to take a look at what might be using this. And so I'm going to look for uh, a library... Or a, an application rather that utilizes this library with uh, the same command that I used in I think the not the previous episode but the episode before that for i in slash user bin slash asterisk and of course this this excludes all the stuff in user s bin and slash bin it doesn't matter I don't I don't think it matters that much uh, semicolon do ldd dollar sign i so that's for each file that that is found in user bin let's do an ldd against it i'm redirecting standard error to dev null to greater than slash dev slash null that's so that i don't get all the sort of uh the false the well the the true negatives where uh ldd doesn't work on that thing because it's actually just a shell script pointing to something else or whatever uh, and then pipe grep i in this case uh grep i triple e 1284 in in the case of other libraries, of course, I'll put that library into there. Ampersand, ampersand, echo, dollar sign, I. That's a poor man's way of just really quickly seeing what the heck I just LDD'd. Semicolon, done. So I've got two hits for this one. I've got user bin lib IEEE 1284 underscore test, and then slash USR slash bin slash sane, S-A-N-E, uh, dash, find, dash, scanner, which um I'm not surprised to find that that's the use case here. Uh, I, I would not have been surprised as well if there had been some kind of, you know, KDE printer finder thing that was using lib1284, 1284, IEEE1284, 1284. and maybe there is. Like I say, I just did a really quick, simple listing of user bin so that it, it that, does exclude a bunch of stuff, but I think this is enough to get the idea. Sane is a um, a scanning interface for Linux, and it it's gonna look for a flatbed scanner or or you know some device that can import an image. And sometimes those devices might be connected to a parallel port. Again, I haven't seen a parallel port ever, but also in ages. Um, so you'd have to be running some pretty old hardware for this to be relevant, but that's the cool thing about Linux, and that's going to be, and open source, uh, and that's going to be a common theme that we're going to find <laughs> today, as you'll, as you'll see. Okay, so next up is Lib iMobile Device. This is an iOS device communication library. It's a library to help you communicate with your iDevices devices from apple and there's a bunch of uh things that that use this library i mean a bunch they're more than you can imagine um there's um there's in fact you know what i should do is just can i just get the grep no that would be silly yeah anyway there's a bunch so there's like um well everything from kde practically is is compiled against libi mobile device just you name it kate yes um and i'm not being i'm not this isn't a joke. I'm, this is for real. Uh, Caligra words, yes. Servicia? That's not even from KDE, is it? Uh, yes. So there's just it, it's just I don't know. Everything seems to be compiled against lib lib i device, and I don't know why. I'm assuming it's because there's some kind of hook into an iPhone. Especially for KDE, because they have that fancy KDE Connect thing. So I'm assuming that's got something to do with this. But I don't know for sure. But everything from KDE, and then um, maybe Servicia is from KDE. I thought that was that one application... Yeah, isn't it? This is like an ancient. No, it's not. Okay, it's not exactly the application I thought it was. But I think this is like a CVS front end, or or whatever it's called. C C V C S V C S. No, C V S. Whatever that thing before subversion was. Um. So yeah, live mobile device. It's all over the place. And and I I'm assuming that if you are using an I device, then the more that is compiled against low lib i mobile device uh, then the more kind of um, things you can interact with one way or another, I mean a lot of these things i don 't even know how you would interact with over any device, much less an i mobile device, but I mean like Cleopatra clickety k-info center like what are you doing with those on a mobile device i don't i don't really get it but i'm assuming it's for some kind of notification uh thing or something like that so there you go lib i mobile device all over the place had no idea I mean, I, I knew it existed. I thought it was called LibiPhone, and I think maybe it did used to be called LibiPhone. And then they changed it to Lib I Mobile device probably to encompass, like, tablets and things like that. But, um, yeah, I didn't realize it was just all over the place. Okay, so LibIndicator has nothing to do with Lib I Mobile device, despite my theory that Lib I Mobile device exists all over the place for notifications. But LibIndicator... It's a, I guess, a hangers-on from the old Unity desktop. You might remember the Unity desktop. It was kind of a controversial desktop for a while, and frankly, I don't blame it. Like, I mean, I don't blame the controversy. This is one of those controversies I can really get behind. So, Canonical, being Canonical, decided at one point, couple years ago several years ago now 10 years ago now um that they wanted to have their own desktop and it was called unity which i mean the irony here is is palpable it's called unity and it was their their desktop for ubuntu um and the the idea was that it would have a global menu system that it had a, a sort of a dash a dash or a dock on the left-hand side of the screen and it was fine it was like really fine it was no no problem it was fine and and it was it was kind of a weird call at the time because GNOME 3 was just kind of getting up and running and so it felt like while one group was working on GNOME, all of a sudden this other group decided to work on something that was kind of remarkably similar to GNOME 3 at least on the surface level and it just it it felt like a weird decision to make. Looking back, I I feel like it's not that weird of a decision to make. Like, I mean, it is, but it's also not. Like, you can kind of see, because, I mean, you might not like Gnome 3. I like Gnome 3 in, like, quotes. I like it. I mean, it's pretty. It's nice. People seem to be able to use it pretty easily. There are some counterintuitive things, I think, or at least maybe unintuitive things. There are some decisions that the GNOME team makes that aren't the decisions that I would make. But, I mean, they're clearly the decisions that they would make. So, I mean, it's it's a thing, you know. They, they, they've built, they're building this desktop the way that they want to build it. And they're the people with the tools and the knowledge of how to do it and the time and the skills so that's what we have that's the gnome three is is the thing that they have built, and that's how it goes in software. so unity was going to be a thing that someone else built. And and again, it was fine. Like, I, I tried it, and I remember, I think I even said, like I, I said at the time, I think, I'd have to go back and listen to, like, recordings and find out what I actually thought. But as I recall, I, I thought it was fine. Like, it was a fine thing. Now, when all of the controversy started sort of making sense to me at the time was when, um what was this project called? It was the Nova, the Nova Editor, or something like that, or the neutron editor or something like that, like some kind of modular. I I probably have a a video editor um, article. What was this called? NovaCut. That was what it was called. NovaCut. So there was this project called NovaCut, which was a very exciting project at the time. It was very cool. I did a, like a technical talk about it at one point. Uh, which was more of like a, a technical, it, yeah, it was it was very theoretical because it was this this thing didn't really exist yet. I mean, it did. There were there were elements of this thing that existed, and the idea was that you could you know it would be the 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 easy way to to so just attach your camera your um DSLR camera your digital camera single lens reflex camera so that's you know one of the 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 cameras with like removable lenses and things like that it's like it looks like a traditional film camera but it's like a digital camera so you would it's not in a phone uh so you would attach that to your you would use that to take video to record video and and certainly at the time and probably still um those well, maybe not probably still, I don't know. Um, but at the time, that that was the superior, like, that was the affordable yet yet very high-quality method of getting video footage, really. I mean, phones were rubbish at video at that point, and digital, like, can- handheld camcorders were kind of falling off the market, but these DSLRs were, were producing really good quality, and because they... They were single lens reflex. They had true, you know, like traditional lenses on them. You could get really nice depth of field and so on if you knew how to light things correctly. So it was nice. NovaCut was aiming to take that, the the footage of that camera to, to make it easy to get that footage onto your computer. And then this is the cool part. The idea was that you would upload it to a storage facility of your choice. Like it didn't have to be any bodies. They they weren't selling like storage or anything. You put it online, like literally online. I, I say literally because in the video editing world, there is a term called online, but that's not like the internet online, it just means on the on the system. So literally online, you'd put it on the internet. And then people on your network or across the internet could edit footage collaboratively. Like you would both be able to... It was, it, it was a collaborative editing process. And it was a really exciting... It was a Kickstarter, it earned a lot of money... It earned some money, I think probably less money than the project actually... Well, I would say definitely less money than the project actually needed uh it was just one guy working on this i mean it was it was tough you know but it was an exciting idea and and it was all sort of it, it seemed like it was it had a lot of support, sort of, or, or visible support. I don't know, a lot of support. It had visible support from within Ubuntu, like the Ubuntu community. Uh, it was kind of co-branded, almost. I mean, it had nice branding. It was good. It was promising. And at one point, I, I thought, this is really cool. Uh, you know, and I, I helped kickstart it and all the other stuff, and I did interviews with the creator to try to promote it uh, as much as I can promote anything, which is not a whole lot. But I, I tried. I, I tried my best. Um, and so I... I, I thought that this would be cool, and I was going to package it up for Fedora. And I believe I did pack it Well, I didn't package it up for Fedora. I packaged it up in such a manner that someone on Fedora could install it. And the difference there is that you... You know, if you're saying you're packaging it for Fedora, then you need to be blessed by the Fedora packagers, and this is a blessing I've yet to manage. I cannot seem to crack the code on how to get into the fedora packaging system i've I've tried and i've tried i just never get past like the last hurdle somehow so anyway i was going to package it up in such a way that it could be used for the for some other operating system and it was either fedora or slackware or both or whatever now why does all of this matter well here it is there were components of this nova cut thing that relied on libraries from Unity and at the time I mean it was all being developed you know NovaCut was being developed Unity was being developed everything was kind of in flux at the time it was non trivial to get the, the 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 stack of dependencies that you would need and it was li- it was just literally like the system tray it was just trying to get to the system tray or heck it may have even been lib indicator for all I know I don't remember but It was just the the most trivial thing and it was just a huge blocker at least for me at the time which you know i'm not saying to me today maybe it would just be like oh yeah okay that's a pain but yeah no problem we'll just compile this package that and then we'll go we'll continue but at the time it was definitely a blocker for me could not could not seem to get around this unity dependency and and as far as I could tell, that was not going to slow down. Like, NovaCut was was incorporating more and more Unity libraries into sort of its dependency chain because it wanted to be able to use the features of that desktop. But those features were just really, really specific to Unity. And that's the danger, I think, of of, of looking out at the, you know, the the 90% of the market or 80% or 50% of the market and saying, well, you know what? We could have half of that again, <laughs> You know, like well, 50% Gnome, 50% KDE. Let's cut that down further by creating our very own unity desktop. And, 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 just like I said in the previous episode about Void Linux, I mean, I, I, it, it's it's dangerous, obviously, to say, well, you shouldn't create something new because something similar already exists. Like that's not what we want in open source, and I I see that. But at the same time, I also see how developing this this other desktop in a market or in a community that's already got lots of different things going on. It can be tough, and especially, and and I think if you're going to do that, I think there's kind of a burden on you, the programmer, to make those components either available or um, sort of abstracted. It's like, yes, I'm going to use my own thing, my own indicator system, but I'm going to provide an API so that all you need to do in your code is say, hey, give me an alert. I'll translate that into my special system. That brings us back to LibIndicator. LibIndicator, hosted on Launchpad, says that it is a system for a set of symbols and convenience functions that all indicators would like to use, not of real use outside of the Ayatana Indicators project. The Ayatana Indicators project, as found at ayatanaindicators.github.io or something, or .com or whatever, I think probably .io. Can't read it from here. IO. Yeah, it is. Okay. Um, that is a project, um... The the continuation of Application Indicators, a technology developed by Canonical for the Unity desktop. Application Indicators are a GNOME implementation of the status notification specification, that's S-N-I, that was originally submitted to freedesktop.org by KDE. The Ayatana Indicator Project intends to become the new upstream for Application Indicators and associated projects with a focus on making Ayatana Indicators a desktop agnostic, meaning universal, technology so had this existed <laughs> um at the time it's well i mean it's just what i said right it's it's basically uh like it, it's a it, it's a it's a target and you say i'm going to target the ayatana indicator code or or subsystem and i don't need to know the specifics all i need to know is that i need this alert or i need this status symbol like a you know like a in progress uh what do they call it? like a little turny thing that turns around spinny thing spinning wheel of death or whatever uh, i need that so I'll, I'll broadcast over to Ayatana Indicator or lib indicator that I need this thing and it will produce that for me. Completely unrelated to that, and yet kind of related to that, is the next one in our list, LibIODBC. That's the Independent Open Database connectivity library iodbc is the acronym for uh, yes i got that an open source platform independent implementation of both the odbc and x slash open specifications it allows for developing solutions that are language platform and database independent so if you go to iodbc.org you can find out even more about it but the the the, the idea here is that people were finding that that a lot of people are developing code for um uh, MySQL and for uh Postgres and for I don't know whatever else uh, SQLite and and so on, Maria DB, and and all the others, um, and and they each have slightly different SQL format uh, syntax, right? You know, like you, and it's frustrating because, especially as a database person, not that I am, but if you've ever used a database a couple of times. Um, You start to kind of get into the, you start to see the pattern. Oh, okay, so I need to create a set of users. All right, cool. Let's find out the syntax for that. Ah, I need to grant permissions to certain tables to those users. Okay, let's find out the syntax for that. I need to create a table. Let's find out the sentence, the, the syntax for that. I need to drop a table, I need to do whatever, I need to create a new record, I need to associate a record, I need to do a search that, that that finds all the records in this table, or, or across all tables, and so on. So there's all this syntax that exists out there, and it's just a little bit different for every single database, whether it's MySQL, or MariaDB, or Postgres, or SQLite3, or whatever. And that can get, obviously, pretty frustrating, because we're, we're all doing the same thing here, it's it, it, the, the this isn't this isn't rocket science. it's just a database. There really are only so many things you can do with the database. Um, if you're doing something really, really spectacular with the database, you're probably not doing it with an existing database. you're probably creating your own database or something. So I mean the the database as an object as a target, there's only so much you can really do with it. IODBC attempts to provide an API so that you can, as a programmer, just target IODBC, and then whatever backend people decide to use, well, now there's a translation layer between your code and whatever that backend is code or whatever that backend system is. As long as that backend system is IODBC client uh, uh, compliant, or I don't know if that's what it's called, maybe it's just ODBC compliant, but as long as it's playing along with the translator, you're playing along with the translator. There, you've got that le- that layer of abstraction. Super, super important. Really, really useful. It. This is the kind of code. This and and even the Ayatana indicators. These are the kinds of code projects that really increase and preserve the 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 different options that that I think we all actually want in open source or or in computing at all. Um, and and this is the kind of thing that I think if a lot of the 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 companies out there offering even non-open code, I think if if they would do this kind of thing, like release open-source um, sort of translation libraries, and some of them do, they have open quote unquote open APIs and things like that that you're allowed to to, to make calls to. Um, I, I think it would be I think I think things could be a little bit different than they are. Um, I know that when, for instance, Google was using X, uh, I forget it, X, uh, nope, lost it again, Jabber, the XMPP uh, protocol for their chat, like you could, it wasn't that big of a deal when someone was on a Google chat because you could just add that that chat target to whatever chat application you wanted to use then chat with them you didn't need like anything special it was just it was just another jabber target and that's great i mean not only just because it's nice that you can use copete when you want to or conversation or whatever conversation that's probably just irc isn't it so copete whatever one of those two right um you could use that i obviously haven't used either of them in ages now uh, you could use that to to chat with people i mean that's a nice convenience but it's also for like accessibility could be really really important to people who for whatever reason can't see the the google chat application uh and and there are lots of reasons you might not be able to do that uh the the the, the brightness on on the default google chat application it's it's very very bright with you know white screen on with little black text, uh you can change it as long as you open it in a dedicated window. You can go to Google chat like the the dedicated interface and you can i think you can put it into dark mode, but it that doesn't carry over into the unified um interface in the gmail uh ecosystem. I know this because of of work uh so that kind of abstraction is is really really. Really key, I think, to maintaining—if not open source code, then certainly the kind of accessibility and flexibility that that really modern computing just ought to have. I mean, it's 2023; we're we're living in the future. Like we we shouldn't this the all of these things should be trivial. Um, and it's it's libraries like libiodbc and even lib indicator that's making these things that's making it all possible that's preserving that ideal and that's super super important so there they are um i guess i could do an ldd to find out what is using iodbc Let's find out if there's anything in slash usr slash ben that's using libiodbc. yeah so not really iodbc test iodb Uh, c test w lib or iodbc adm like admin dash gdk and that seems to be the only two applications so there there might be something hidden away somewhere but it looks like this might be targeting mostly development which is fine i'm fine with that you know what else i'm fine with i'm fine with coffee so let's go get a cup of coffee we'll come back and finish up the show back and I've got coffee and luckily I am going into the city tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, and I'm hoping to stop by a sort of a, uh, you know, a small cafe where they roast their own beans. I'm going to try to pick up a bag of, um, of really good coffee. So, uh, I, I, the, the variables here are, uh, whether they're open when I'm available, because I have to do some other stuff in the city, like I'm going to an event, so are they going to be available? If so, will I be in the area when they're open, and so on. So, there are variables to contend with. I don't know that it will happen for sure. I'm going to give it a go, though. Next up, libjpeg-turbo. This is a high-speed version of libjpeg. What more do you need to know, really? It's libjpeg-turbo, turbo.org it's a faster way to compress and decompress jPEG images I mean to me it seems like a an obvious an obvious choice if you were programming a thing and you needed a jPEG library why wouldn't you use something called turbo rather than the old one simple right um I don't care about jPEG I I I, I, I used to care about jPEG vaguely I mean it was it was a nice way to get smaller images but webP has I would replace everything with webp at this point. Webp is amazing. I mean the quality to file size ratio is stunning. It is absolutely amazing. Use it as often as possible, really. It is it is very very good. Uh and you can you can export to webp out of Krita, out of GIMP with ImageMagick. I mean it's it's all over the place. The, the weird weirdest thing about it is that well, it not not about it but i mean there are randomly websites that just haven't i guess probably updated their php image magic <laughs> library yet to to accept webp images uh so you will run into surprise um conflicts of, you know, incompatibilities. But uh, yeah, WebP is really, really nice. It is, it's really good. Uh, And it it has been used, I think I've said this before, it, it has been used for like, image archiving at some, some very big places that I have worked. And uh, who 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 specialize in images? So they seemed to have a lot of confidence in in WebP. So I, I, that doesn't mean anything, but I'm saying there have been places that I have worked whose business it is to do imaging and. And that, and they switched over to WebP pretty early on because, uh, because of the size-to-quality ratio, the ability to do really, really big images without any problem. It so yeah, I, I'm pretty, I feel pretty good about it myself, based on you know the opinions of um, really, really smart people. Okay. So, next up after that, LibKarma. That's LibKarma with a K, uh, as opposed to C-C-R-M-A. This is actual LibKarma, and it is the library for accessing the Rio Karma music player. So, there was for a while, and I am not 100%, I don't remember... I don't remember it super clearly, but I, I as I recall it, when the when the iPods were first coming out, like they they were just coming out. A lot of people probably these days think that the iPod was like kind of like the first of its kind, but interestingly that's not the case. Um iPod was the sort of the the MP3 player that made the the most noise. I mean, it was as I said a couple of episodes ago when I was talking about MP3 um, encoding and decoding and the controversy around that because of things like Napster and 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 just the the ability to share music over the internet. Um, iPod to to the market, I think, that looked like a multi-billion dollar, maybe they were only a multi-million dollar company at that time before the iPod, but it looked like a major player in the tech space approving what the market was widely coming to understand as a criminal activity, that is the production and distribution of MP3. So the iPod made a big deal, sort of made a big impact just because of the, the, the who was making it and who was pushing it? But even before the iPod, there were other digital music players. Um, I think one was called the Zen. Now that I'm thinking about it, but apparently, yeah. In fact, it might have been this the same line, the Karma and the Zen. That sounds like those are two things that would possibly have been marketed together. This one's anyway. LibKarma obviously is for the for the Karma, uh, and it it's uh, and uh, LibKarma is well, it's if you go to Linux dash Karma. .org, then you'll discover that it's a SourceForge. I think it's actually linux-karma.sourceforge.net. Yeah, that's what it is. Sorry. Yeah, linux-karma.sourceforge.net. It is a project to develop software for the Rio Karma portable music player that runs under Linux. So that's, that's the goal of this project. I don't know how, you know, whether this project actually is still being, um developed or what, but the the idea was that you would be able to use your little music player on Linux without a problem I'm assuming unless this was like developing um, you know Linux to load onto Karma but I don't I don't believe that's correct I believe all this is is um, a a set of drivers a set of um, software um, I said drivers already a file system file system uh, modules so that you can load the Karma file system as a as an external device and then uh, they worked with Amarok and Banshee Amarok being the KDE music player at least at the time. I don't think Amarok is really going anymore unfortunately. I wish I wish it was. I really miss Amarok still. Um Elisa is a fun alternative, but it's not it's not Amarok. Uh the Banshee that was a Gnome music player might still be. I think it is still around. I uh, I don't really I think I just use VLC on on Gnome t- typically for for music. Uh and and frankly I use just like Elisa and Dragon on KDE. Um so that was the idea behind Lib Karma. So it is a library that will read music from your Karma, your Rio Karma player. Which again, I mean, I don't know exactly when the Karma itself, the Rio Karma, but I, I you know, the Rio devices go way, way back, and it's fascinating that we've got the library for it. Like I say, this is a a common a common theme. This episode is compatibility. Uh, it's interesting because I have right here on my desks right now, by pure chance, the Sansa not Sansa Clip, but the Sansa something. It's it's a small, it's a small one. It fits in the palm of my hand. I mean, it's, it's quite well. Maybe not the palm of my hand. It fits in my hand. Um, it's a tiny little music player with a little scroll wheel and a center button. So very sort of classic iPod, or at least up to third generation iPod um, style navigation. It's got a little on and off switch, which uh, for, for these devices kind of became a revolutionary concept for a while. It's got an SD card slot, which is huge because that's that just never happened on these things. It's a really nice device. Um, the danger of it is that it has a you know weird proprietary cable because of course they had to do that, right? Because iPod had their own proprietary cable, so everybody else had to have their proprietary cable. Stupid. Um, but it, it, you know, it's a. it goes out to USB, but it, the other end, the, the end into the device is its own little proprietary thing. So if that ever breaks, then this device is useless to me. But this is a, a great little device. I enjoy it a lot and it still works like it it runs just fine uh and it is running rockbox rockbox being a free firmware for music players that was developed for a very long time back in like 2006 to 2008 to 2010 i don't know um it it, it was it was really nice and yeah you, you had to do a couple little you know little a few little weird hacks to get it onto a device but it was it was really nice, and then you were running just open-source firmware for, for whatever music player you managed to get it on. I've I've had it on a third-generation iPod uh, and that Sansa, both of which I have because they're both running uh, Rockbox, and they both work quite well. Uh, and I still... Well, I was using them, again, back when I was doing business trips, I would use them because I figured, well, like, yes, I have a mobile device, but... or a mobile phone... But on an airplane, like, they're gonna have you turn it off or or whatever. Uh, And then, you know, just using it to play music just seems like it's draining that battery unnecessarily. So I would just bring... a separate music player just for my audio on the airplane, so that I could burn through its battery for the fourteen-hour airplane trip it takes <laughs> from New Zealand to anywhere. Uh, and yeah, worked out. Worked out really well for me. Worked really well. Uh, and I may go back to it now because my my phone is mostly dying, and I don't think I'm going to be getting a new one. So because again, the phone really it's for business, and I don't do that much business. That's not just sitting at my desktop these days, so that doesn't really seem necessary. All right, next up is libmad. That's the, uh, mpeg audio decoder. So it supports mpeg 1, mpeg 2, mpeg 2.5, layer 1, 2, and 3, which finally that's mp3. So that's what MAD can do for you. It can can decode all of that stuff. Let's find out where libmad is actually being used lib mad cdr dao that's the um cdr what is it dao disc at once gm player so that's a front end to m player lib uh not lib mad i mean yes lib mad but there's libmad uh where's there it is uh talk to mp3 so that's like a table of content to mp3 um there's uh, Soxi, S-O-X-I, Rec Play. Those are again from Sox. Normalize. That's an equalizer command uh, command line equalizer. Mincoder. That's in player again. Mad Play. That's what I was looking for. Uh, Mad Play is, of course, the, the I, I don't know if it's probably not fair to call it a proof of concept. Uh, for libmad, but I mean, that's kind of what it is. I mean, it's mad play, and it's, um, it'll play your, your MPEG files. I, I, I tend to uh, to not use the ones that are super hyper-specific. You know, like even aug123. I mean, like, it's great to be able to play aug through aug123, or what is it, og 321 as well. But, I mean, it really is just for aug, isn't it? Uh, so, I don't know. It just seems easier to just use a command that can do all of the things instead. All right, that's libmad. Let's talk about lib Lib This is the Encrypt Encryption Library. It's a thread safe, provides encryption and decryption functions. Um, it supports all the different algorithms like uh, Serpent and a, a whole host of things that I, I just suddenly realized I don't want to have to say all the letters to. There's TwoFish, Blowfish, those are pretty famous. So lots of different ones. It's Encrypt. I've used Encrypt before, and I can't remember what it would have been why it would have been something that I would have used. But I've used encrypt, like, really directly once. It might have been for some kind of weird token generation for work, maybe. Maybe? Or, or more likely, decryption, probably. Yeah, it might have been something to do with, with that. But um, I can't find anything... In user bin that's using mcrypt. I can't find anything that in user sbin that's using mcrypt. So it seems like once again this is a mostly development, you know, included for development purposes kind of library. Because yeah, I've just looked in bin, sbin, user bin, and user sbin. Didn't look in user local bin and user local sbin. But um, yeah, so mcrypt seems to be a library uh, for development, which is fine. Next up is the lib. Ming, or M-N-G, really, but they say that it's pronounced Ming. It is a, it is a library that's developed in the tradition, or, or the same, quote, quote, the same modular philosophy as P-N-G, or Ping, I guess, um and The idea behind Ming is really to take on the animation duties that we probably know uh, for, you know, made famous by GIF, right? Animated GIFs, they're still a thing. PNG tried to sort of uh, uh, fill that that niche. They tried to usurp that because it is possible to do uh, animated graphics with PNG in theory. I have to admit I have yet to see one in, in the wild. I don't even think I've seen one at all. Like I, I don't even think I've, I think I probably tried it once and then gave up or something. I don't know. But technically PNG is supposed to be able to do animated graphics. GIF is still the the one I guess that's kind of the easiest to produce because it seems to be the thing that everyone uses. All the browsers know how to how to play them. All the chat clients know how to play them. It's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. Well, MNG or Ming was going to try to take that code or or that that function off the shoulders of PNG and become a dedicated dedicated Sort of system for just animated graphics. A single file, multiple layers, or multiple images in one uh, graphic file specifically tailored for a network. I mean, that's what it stands for multi image network graphic. The fact that you've never heard of it kind of betrays that it didn't really ever take off. It is Compiled into GM player, min, uh, yeah, min coder, and mplayer. player. So, at least on Slackware, a grand total of essentially one application, which is, you know, m player, like that whole, that that family, m player, min coder, and then a front end, gm player, uh, is are really the only applications that are using it. I mean, isn't there like a KM player as well? It's interesting that that didn't come up. M player, n- oh, maybe. SM player there's either no such application which is possible i could have just made that up or uh, i don't have it installed which is also possible but that's lib ming um nice try it is funny that gif just sort of i mean the, of all the staying powers like that's that's some staying power that lib gif I'm, I'm still kind of surprised that it's still it doesn't really feel all that it feels overutilized and underutilized at the same time or maybe overutilized and underserved really would be the the way to say that because i do feel for as as ubiquitous as gifs are like could you make an animated gif right now if you had to like right now no you'd have to like look it up and then you'd have to open gimp and do a bunch of layers and then export it and then you'd have to export it again because you'd realize that the export that you did was way too big and then you'd have to fiddle around to try to get it the right speed and and all these other sort of weird issues with with animated gifs and i just kind of feel like it should be a lot simpler i don't know maybe it's just a niche thing that that maybe it is simple and it's just that there's not you know i don't know where to look or something um Lib MPC, Multiple Precision Complex Library. MPC is a complex floating-point library with exact rounding. It is based on the GNU MPFR floating-point library that you can find at mpfr.org, uh, which is itself based on the GNU MP library, which you can find at the gmplib.org. Where can you find multi-precision, the MPC library. Well, you can find that at multiprecision.org. precisionorg um, This is maths, and I don't know anything about it. This is a GNU, you know, MPC library. I just don't know enough about math to even begin to guess um, really why you would want this, why you would need this. I don't know. I round up or round down, depending on the rule set. Um, so there you go, multi-precision lib MPC. If you need better floating points, check out libmpc. Libmtp is, of course, the, what is it, Media Transport Transfer? I think Transfer Library. Uh, this is, quote, a library that attempts to support Microsoft's media transport protocol. It's funny, I didn't know that MTP was a Microsoft technology, and now it makes a lot of sense, <laughs> because I do not like MTP. Um... It was initially based on the uh, libp2 uh, no ptp2 library and uh, libgphoto2 based on libptp2. So whatever it, it's um it is it is a bunch of uh, sort of attempts to talk to remote devices as mm, sort of almost networked devices and it's 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 one of those really obtuse, I think the only thing more obtuse than this would be Apple's own method of trying to not talk to remote devices. Um, It's just, it's this horrible way of of just, you know, if, if you've got a device, you can plug it into a computer, that device has a file system, write the driver for that file system, you're done. But of course, for some reason, that's just too much, I don't know, that makes too much sense. It's too simple. So they have to, come up with this media transfer protocol or iTunes or some other system so that you can sort of present this sort of abstract... I mean, I don't understand really why you can't just do the same thing as a front-end. You could have the front-end abstraction. You don't have to have people poking around in the file system. You could just launch a front end for your users you could you can put that into your code linux would ignore that but i mean you're not targeting linux anyway so for windows when someone plugs in their device that you want to pretend isn't a device and is actually a magical uh, interface then you just don't you just have a dll somewhere that says ignore this device use this driver though launch this front end and and then you know give people whatever kind of illusion you want to create or same for apple plug it in the device just lie to your users you do it anyway i mean it's all it's all over the the interfaces they they do all kinds of weird things to sort of make people believe that certain devices are a certain way so why not with this i don't know mtp i mean it, it it really is it's it seems to be basically everywhere like you plug in in a in a device and one of the options is would you like to talk to this device Over MTP. And usually, if I can get around it, the answer is no. But uh, unfortunately, can't always get around it so let's let's take a look at lib MP, MTP media transfer protocol let's see what that's compiled into i mean it's got to be on um in uh, kde connect gotta be um no actually it doesn't look like it is or maybe it isn't it's just still thinking about it but there's mtp album art mtp albums yeah so a lot of these things are mtp specific applications and that's it that's interesting i would have thought that it would have been in dolphin or or something but i don't see that maybe those are calling out to this ultimately or maybe not maybe they don't do it um i've i've been using kde connect for so much lately so i'm i'm not even sure i mean it could just be that KDE Connect is using some completely different system. All I know is that it works really well. Oh, they are, yeah, because they have a... I forgot they have an app on the phone. On the device, they've got an app, and then they're talking to that. Yeah, that's how they're doing it. Um, I mean, it works a lot better than MTP, that is for sure. Okay, so... Let's do maybe one more just to, well, if I do one more, then I'll have to do, yeah, no, that's, that's a whole other screen. All right, so we're at the, that took us through to the M's, M as in Mike. And next episode probably will start in the ends of the no, no- November lib nice will be first and then on from there uh, we might be in the ends for well, probably the next episode to be honest we might get through the O's we'll see but that was that was good that was a lot of libraries and uh, I like this LDD trick I'm, I'm glad because uh, that really shines on uh, it sh- shines a light on each of the libraries as they are actually used so we'll keep doing that LDD figure out out where these libraries are actually being compiled into code that you and I are using on a daily basis on Slackware, that's that's great context to have. So thank you for listening. I'll let you know whether I acquire that fancy coffee, but of course you'll have to wait until next time. Job and I know it.